And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're gonna tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The Sixers finally got their first win of the season with a big performance from James Harden down the stretch to pull away from the Indiana Pacers. But a lot of the defensive problems continue to persist. Rich and I try to make sense of what has been a confounding start to the Sixers season. Enjoy the podcast. All right, welcome everybody. This is Derek Bodner, joined by Rich Hoffman on Sixers Beat, part of the Athletics Podcast Network. How you doing, Rich? Derek, how long can we talk about the Phillies before we <laughs> got to talk about the Sixers? Well, that's tough because we're on a little bit of a lull there too. We don't have a game until Friday, so there's nothing new to talk about. But what we have seen up to this point has been fantastic. Some of the all-time great Philadelphia sports moments that we have seen probably almost certainly in our life, lifetimes. Yeah, right now I would I would prefer to talk about the Phillies, but that is not what uh not what everyone is tuning into. Although you're you're free to go on a little bit of riff if you want. <clears throat> sure, I will. <laughs> that Bryce Harper at bat was the coolest thing I've seen yeah. in sports in a long time. Now, obviously, I'm going to overrate it because I was rooting for him to hit it. And also, it was new. It was recent. Yep, it's recent, and I've been a big fan of his for a while, and I felt bad for him because he's been awesome ever since he's been here and the team has not been that good. Really that was one of the few like superstar acquisitions that the city has that lives up to its reputation, probably exceeds it uh, with what he's given you. Unbelievable. It's, it's just so cool to have, you know, a star player who's dialed into that level on your team, on your team that won 87 games. Who cares? That guy is a star. And, uh, uh, um, just an amazing at bat and well, re really cool. And especially to go through what you went through with the injury. And at that point, I certainly thought this was a lost season. He came back. He struggled a little bit. Uh, what is he up to? Five so far here in the postseason. Just an amazing turnaround. Uh, all of them seemingly massive in importance. Uh, yeah, it's it's one of the great runs. I mean, it's up there with um, the all-time greats that the city's had. Now, what did Elton have in 09? Because right, I think he had that home run streak in the year that they lost in the World Series, right? Didn't he have six against the Yankees? I don't remember exactly how many he got, but it's it's up there with those kinds of runs. It's just incredible. It's incredible what you've seen. Yeah, it's just it's really cool to see. It's uh it kind of reminded me of that Yankee series you just mentioned, one of the more underrated plays in Philadelphia history, just because of what directly followed it. Pedro Feliz hit a home run to tie the game off Jabba Chamberlain, I think it was game four, 2009. And uh, obviously Pedro Feliz is about as far from Bryce Harper on the on the totem pole of uh, baseball players as you can get. That said, like I just remember the stadium going absolutely insane, and then Lidge and Johnny Damon happens in the ninth inning. Yep. It's really bad. Anyway, my point is 
there's nothing like just seeing a baseball stadium completely lose its shit. Like yeah, when that really ball, is. when yeah. that ball sails into the stands and you see the entire left field crowd, just losing its mind. It was, uh, it was awesome. And also one, one more thing too. I mean, the whole thing was awesome. Bunting was the stupidest thing <laughs> I've ever seen in my life. Only followed up by the not bringing in their reliever. Um, no, look, oh, yeah. if that was in Philadelphia, we would, you and I would be doing a forty-five minute conversation on those two decisions. Just on Josh Hader. Yeah. That's it. Uh, I am glad oh, that right. we are not in that position. Yeah. No, I mean, look, when you talk about the feeling and the electricity in a stadium, like you know, after Thursday night when we watched that dreadful, dreadful game. Um, no, Saturday after Saturday. Also a dreadful game, but a different dreadful game. <laughs> uh, I walked over there uh, just to go outside of the, um, I guess it was probably the first base gate, just to like take it in and hear the roar of the crowd. Like I walked over there, didn't have tickets, haven't gotten a chance to go to a game yet. And it's not exactly going to be cheap here to change that trend. Um, but just to take it in, <laughs> because it really is, you know, there's an elation to when the Phillies are doing well that the entire city experiences that is pretty unique. I think part of it is also just because of how long a baseball playoffs take and how there's sort of like that slow build up to the moment and each step somebody jumps on board and more people jump on board and by the end of it the whole town's behind it. It's just when that comes to the end it's just it's incredible. It's inc- incredible what the town goes through. It that, I love it. I love it. And we have to talk about the Spurs and the Pacers. Yeah, unfortunately, I think we do. But I agree with you. It's awesome. Not the Spurs of the Pacers, but it's no, awesome. No, no, it's not. I really thought the season was done, too. When he got injured, I thought this was done. What a turnaround. I guess it's probably a good place to pivot because just because the Sixers start off one and three doesn't mean that their season is done uh, and they have an MVP candidate themselves. So I guess we'll pivot. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Uh, it's tough to make that right now because they're not playing well enough to deserve that kind of a uh, comparison, but it is early. It is early. Okay, so let's let's get into it. I guess I guess first thing that comes to mind after, you know, two very blah performances, and that's probably putting it kindly, uh, you know, two games that we thought that they were going to win pretty handily. They lost one of them. The other one, I think, was... Probably closer than the final score would indicate. Yeah, they won by fourteen. It got down to eight with like five minutes left. Harden made a couple bang bang threes, um, and they pushed it back up. Thoughts? Well, I guess what I was gonna, you know, the way that you sort of brought it up last podcast was there was a very obvious narrative around the team, a conversation around how great Harden was playing and how poorly Embiid was playing. And I'm not sure there's quite as obvious of a narrative now because. Yeah, you had that win against the Pacers. And they did some things well, certainly better than they had in the previous two games. And then there were some things that continue to be a persistent problem with this team and that I'm not sure you necessarily see obvious solutions for. So it was great to get that win. Certainly I thought they executed offensively better than they had in a long time. You know, getting into early offense. I don't even want to call it transition because a lot of it's just getting it uh, across early and getting it into offense earlier than you normally would. They did a better job with. Half-court defense, I thought they did a 
slightly better job. But certainly, I thought Embiid was more engaged, and that has a, a way of reshaping your half court defense. Um, I think he's been okay the last couple. Yeah, games. yeah, the last two. Even the Spurs game, I thought he was better defensively. Mm-hmm. But the you know there is still the perimeter defense, which looks awful on most nights, especially at the starting the two starters. And then there's transition defense, which I feel like we've talked about once a month for the past five years. I feel like we talk about the transition defense. But I feel like it's as bad as it maybe ever has been. And I'm not sure there's a very obvious solution there. So what's your overall read and takeaway of the last two games, but really of the trends over the four games as a whole? I think it's uncertainty. Yeah. Right? That's probably uh, a good word for it. I think it's a a nervous uncertainty. There's like a malaise to start this season. I yeah. uh, look. I, I'm not gonna do. Well, I, I guess we can get into a little bit with Doc, but I I don't want to go overboard on the long term speculation because I think the first week of the season generally produces the worst takes of every year. Yeah. If you're four and zero, you're treated like a sixty win team look, automatically. Whoa, whoa, whoa. And- you're way underselling me. I can have horrible takes at any point in the NBA calendar. Take that back. And if you're an uninspiring one and three like the Sixers are, and it's a very uninspiring one and three, you know you're treated like a twenty five win team. That said, uh, I'll, the, I'll take the over on that one. I will. I'll put money down on that. I will. They can they can not get back on defense all year, and they can probably still get above that. Okay. That said, though. If this team wants to avoid that stuff, the long-term speculation, the the hand-wringing, they need to start playing better quickly. And, you know, the transition defense is the perfect, you know, thing to focus in on. If they play transition defense like they did in Boston, if they play half-court defense like they did against San Antonio, and if they play transition defense like they did last night— they will be either one and six or two and five heading into Washington next week. Like they are, they are not winning two out of three, and uh, they will be the team that everyone loves talking about. It'll just continue to be that way, and that's because Toronto is a horrible matchup for a team that doesn't get back on defense. They're going to run the ball down their yep. throats, and that's the biggest thing. That's that's annoying the hell out of me to watch. Even as a neutral right now, they just don't get back on defense. And it's not a fun thing to write about. It's not like uh, pick-and-roll coverage. It's not um, defensive schemes, all that shit. They just don't get back, man. They, uh, they were getting beat off of made baskets the other night. And like even someone like P.J. Tucker was getting beat. Like You've got to get back on defense. It's just it's commitment. It's effort. And look, we've talked in the past that there are like structural problems with this team, where they'll probably always struggle a little bit in transition defense. But this goes beyond structural. Like, this is effort. They're getting out-efforted a lot in transition. They're not communicating well in transition. They're getting mismatches in transition. And they're just making mistakes and bad decisions. And it's all combining into slop. And slop that, like you, as someone who's just a fan of the game of basketball, it's annoying me to watch. It's annoying to watch. It's just, it's ridiculous. And you have last night's game against Indiana, which we said is closer than the final score. And here's why it was closer than the final score. Because they ran the ball down their throats off every single missed shot, off made baskets, off ridiculous turnovers. It's just, it's a crisis every time one of those things happen. And frankly, the Sixers got 
lucky. Like they missed a lot of really clean open looks that were created off of transition. Not to say Indiana's always going to shoot a high percentage. Um, you know, right. they're not the uh the greatest team. They are going to have nights where they're simply just not going to shoot it well enough. But but here's my general point on this because I I actually think the Spurs game you you could look at that and say there's a little bit of make miss leak going on there. It I don't want to say the Sixers played well, but there's a little bit of, okay, Kelton Johnson, Devin Vassell, Dougie McBuckets. You know, they they were open shots, but they they can miss those shots. But I also think you could do the same thing last night the other way. And uh, the general point is you should not be in make-miss league territory with two teams that are trying their ass off to get Victor Wenbanyama next year. (laughs) That means you're a below-average team right now. Look, we, we can look at the stats. They're, I'll just tell you the stats right now. They're last. They're last in transition by a mile. This one Every- blew my mind. The Pacers the other night, off of live ball turn or rebounds, ran on 48.4% of their chances. Like, they got transition scoring opportunities on nearly half of their defensive rebounds. The Sixers, by contrast, ran 22.6% of the time, so less than half. League average is right around 32%. 48%. It's insane. Insane. I think every starter in particular has done a pathetic job getting back. Pathetic. Every single one of them. Joel, awful. And that's part of, I think, I would hope, plantar fasciitis and being out of shape. But just just an awful job. Like, look, ba- bad, bad job. At that. He's always, even when he's good, he's bad at that. But, but I think this is all equal. I see Tobias and Harden complaining about calls after they force up and try and draw a foul. And they know in their heads, every second I keep looking at this ref and jogging back, it turns from, I don't know, a 50% shot to 100%. And yeah. they don't care. They just do it. Uh, every maxi layup is a disaster. One, because he's not really making them and he's on the floor. But two, that means the other four guys got to get back and they're yeah. slow as hell. And you said it too. Even PJ Tucker, even Mr. I'm going to go yell in the locker room. I'm going to instill the habits the right habits from uh, training camp and, you know, all that good stuff. Well, dude, there are no good habits going on right now on the uh, defensive end. The, the tape is not lying right now. The It's it's very obvious to all of us. So, like, at some point, I don't, I don't know what to do with that. They, you know, like, I, I think back to the Raptors in last season's playoffs, that's what we were worried about. We were worried about, hey, are they just going to run the ball down their throats the entire time? Sixers actually did a pretty good job of that. They did a good job of scheming around it and scoring a bunch. Maybe that's what this group does. I am still less worried about the offense, even if I understand the clunkiness between Joel and James. I, the defense, I, I really like, I, I don't know what to do. Like, I, I, It looks well below average right now, and I don't know what a fix is. I mean, they're... Uh, you you mentioned this like you don't know what the the fix is. I it, it's clear that they have you know Tobias and PJ in the corners on a lot of plays, and they have both of those guys crash a lot. I think the fix is you stop crashing at least one of those guys. Because here's the other issue: they're 28th in offensive rebounding. Yeah. Yeah. How do they do this? They're so bad at both of these things. It's crazy. And I I don't know. It's, yeah. it's, that and is really probably the only, and look we we got on PJ here because he got burned too. He's probably your best transition player getting back in transition defense if he commits to it. 
But like you said, he's also your only offensive rebounder in the starting lineup outside of Joel. So you're really, and you're probably giving up the offensive glass anyway. That's the way his team is constructed. So maybe just send him back instead of sending him the glass. But that's back. what he does. Like, that's what he, he's, he's a pest on the offensive glass. That's part of the reason you signed him. The problem is the rest of your team around him just sucks at getting back in transition. Like, flat out sucks. Uh, it is infuriating to watch. It's infuriating to keep talking about this. It's mind-boggling. <laughs> it never cool gets about fixed. It. No. It's just that the other team goes faster harder. than them. Yeah. yeah. They're faster and they try harder. <sighs> yeah. I mean, look, when you start off with Joel and James, and it's, it, one of those are probably going to be complaining about a call almost every time there's a missed shot. And Tobias... Like court awareness in terms of defensive rotations and communications, never been his strong suit. And Maxi is, he's, he'll get back. He'll get back. He's but tiny. he's not going. He's, he's not going to stop tiny. anybody yeah. though. Yeah. Uh, very frustrating. It's uh very frustrating. It's frustrating. So, like, what is the solution? I, I agree with you. That's why you signed PJ to make those dirty work offensive rebounds. Uh, until this gets fixed, there. <laughs> I think you just got to send it back, man. I, I this is. If the goal is to win games, which I assume it is, you know, who, who knows? Like, who is it? Hasn't is been it in the entirety of our, our sports writing career, but it is now. Yes. Is it performance art? Is it like, are they, you know, the, are they trying to grease the overs in the NBA? I, I don't know. Who is to say what the motivation behind these games are? Sounds like Bill it. Simmons. Are we sure they're trying to win games? I don't know. <laughs> Thanks. Pre- appreciate you. Uh, you give me that, that credit. Um, <laughs> Did you know Joel uh, Leon Rose was his agent, by the way? I did. I, did. I heard that. Okay. okay. Just want to let you know. Just wanted to complete the sounding like Bill Simmons. Um, yeah, I, I think you just have to send it back. Like, if the if the goal is to win these games, what gifting? I don't know. What is it like? Thirty five free points a game to the other team? Like, that's it's going to be tough to win. It's that. it's honestly close to that. I think when I looked it up a couple days ago, it was like. 25 to 11 the Sixers are getting outscored in transition and I, I can't imagine it got worse at, or got better after that Pacers game and when I say free points like like Doc should be I don't know what the acronym is like or maybe no acronym just write no easy points on the on the blackboard before the game because they do it in the half court too because here's where Maxi really like I, I actually think Maxi whatever like getting back on defense that's like that's a physical issue for him. Like if he's yeah. back, sometimes somebody could just run through him and I'm not going to get on him too much for that. Here's what I am going to get on him for. Him and Harden in particular, when it comes to communication and switch situations in the half court, it has been a disaster. Like it's, it's like they've never communicated before. Harden always wants to switch. Maxi doesn't. It's crazy. Like what's going on here? Do one or the other. It's it's like it's completely on. It's Jim Lynham, totally unacceptable. Well, and, and you like, almost think Maxi would want to switch too because he's not getting through a single screen. He runs through anyway. And it's like fine. Maybe you guys want to get Doc fired. I don't know. Maybe, <laughs> maybe you do. But to me, regardless of that, that's a bad look on those players. They're just not doing a good job right now. No. And I, I am very worried about th- that transition defense. I was coming in. I just didn't think it would matter until the conference semifinals. <laughs> I didn't think it would matter against the Indiana Pacers in October. But it, uh, yeah, that, I mean, look, they're even, even when they're trying hard and it's not always the case, 
But even when they are and they're locked in, they're dialed in, there are such severe physical limitations that it is very concerning. We saw that opening night. Uh, and I think we're going to see that again and again and again and again. We're lo- they're lucky that Milwaukee played without Middleton because you would have seen it that game too. I don't understand this, man. It wasn't that bad last year, and they got year. they got physically better. Yeah. Their acquisitions got physically better. PJ, physically better than Danny Green, who was slow. Um, although he was a great transition defender, though. That was the it was more of yeah, a chase no, down block kind of thing, but he obviously was well, was yeah, weird. he was also just stationed in the corner and he sprinted back. And he did his, he did his job in that regard. You and you I weren't you weren't Danny Green wasn't a go guy. You weren't setting him on the glass. Exactly. And I think that's what PJ is going to have to start doing or Tobias, one of the two. I don't know. Not both of them anymore. And yeah, that's that's what it's got to be. But it's just it's maddening. Like, this is crazy. Like, they survived in the first round of the playoffs with this stuff. That was the other thing we thought. Oh, Toronto's going to kill them on the glass. And, you know, there were a couple games in the middle where things yeah. went a little bit haywire, but they did well enough to escape that bad matchup for them. And it's. uh, Yeah, I, it's I don't know. It's it's been uh. It's been really bad. It doesn't make a lot of sense. It, we said before the season, they're going to be fine in the regular season because they're not going to be schemed in the same way. You're going to be playing bad teams like Indiana and San Antonio. All right. Well, they, they their effort has been bad enough that, okay, that's completely out the window. now. Like that's, they, it's a concern against everybody. It is. It is. I still think there's a world where they can give enough effort and Joel can be impactful enough in a regular season. They could end up in the, Maybe not six range, but like eight, ten range. But they've got to play better and harder and more consistent and communicate more and give more effort. Like they've got to actually make the most of their pieces to get into, let's call it the six through ten range. And right now they're just not nearly doing that. Not nearly. You're right. right. They can get better. And and this is like this is me trying to not be first week of the season. This team's always going to be a disaster guy. But as of now, it's it's really bad. And I, the other thing I would say, too, that San Antonio game, like, we have covered this team for a long time. And over the past five years, they win 50 games every single year. All of those years, there's like five or six bad losses in there. It's just the way an yeah. NBA schedule works. The timing of that loss, though, I've never seen worse bad. timing for that. You just Spurs you on to a win back-to-back, back. the Sixers on two disappointing losses, trying to get one at home. Yeah, that was, that was really bad. It's really bad. Really bad. Unleash the takes. And I know the Spurs are three and one, and people are oh maybe they're underrated. I don't don't believe care. That. No, I don't believe that. I, I, I think when we look at this that loss in February, we'll go oh man, I can't believe they lost that game. Pretty confident. Uh, all right, so let's swing over to the other side of the court, where I think there is at least a little bit of hope for optimism, or at least something we can talk ourselves into. What have you seen offensively here in the last two games? I've seen Joel Embiid play better. That's good. I've seen that they have a lot of talent, which they've had the entire season. Um, but I also see some concern. Like like last night's game, Indiana, as you said to me while we were sitting next to each other the whole time, they're not like the greatest defensive team in the world. Is that what you said? I mentioned that once or twice. Yeah, yeah. No, if they made if they made two consecutive passes, they were getting an open shot. Like you saw that in the first four minutes of the game. I think they got five open corner threes. They're horrible defensively. Yeah, it's brutal. 
Sorry, uh, you, you you caught me right when I was a little distracted. We just got no- breaking news on the podcast. We never break news on a podcast. The uh, Sixers versus Wizards game on November 2nd has been changed to a six o'clock start time. Oh, nice. Get a little World Series afterwards. I was Love you, it. W- When you tried hey. to toss it back to me, I uh, I was in the middle of reading the most unimportant text in the world and I was completely distracted. So I want to apologize to you for that. No, no, that's great news. I love uh, breaking some schedule news on the... Uh... <laughs> well, it's not breaking because we'll release this probably tomorrow morning. Uh, we're re- recording this pretty late at night here um, on Tuesday. We'll probably release it Wednesday morning, so it's not really breaking news when you don't release it right away, but whatever. Got to tweet that baby out as after I... <laughs> Get those talking free here. engagements. Yeah, Sure. Uh, but yes, um, going back to the Pacers' abysmal defense. They're not, yeah, they're not good. And Joel Embiid came out with the right mindset of, I got 40 and 10 against San Antonio. I get 40 and 10 against Isaiah Jackson if I want to and make him feel a lot of pain. But like our bench is scoring 11 points per game, which is historically low. Like, why don't we like move the ball a little bit? You know, why don't we, why don't we get that thing moving side to side? And he did. I thought his passing was, it was one of the most misleading passing lines of Embiid's career. Which I feel like happens a lot with Embiid. And sometimes it happens in the other direction, where he, back in the Redick days, when he just hand the ball off, and and Redick was cooking, and they were playing a bad defense, that was garbage free assist. Which, honestly, now that we think about it, the fact that his passing numbers have gotten better over the years while removing that element from his game, he's he's definitely gotten a lot better. He had it a little bit with, you'd get some of those cheapies with Seth last year. Not as many. Not as many, uh, though. But not now, for sure. Because Seth ran pick and rolls more than dribble handles. Yeah, no, for the it most wasn't. Part. Yep. It, uh, yeah. So usually it was in the other direction of, oh yeah, he didn't really pass as well or read the, the important double teams and things that he needed. He had two assists and three turnovers last night. He was awesome passing yep. the ball last night. Hockey assists, guys bricking wide open threes, which, in fairness to like Tobias, kept shooting them, yep. which good for him. And he thought that was one of the key takeaways of the game. He started off two for seven from three. Fired off the next three. Little hesitation. Ended up with, what, 18 on, I think, 14 shots. Good Tobias game. I like, I mean, he's up over half of his field goal attempts right now are from three. That's like double what it normally is. Uh, I think he's bought into his role pretty well. Do I, again, think he's going to like excel in that role? No, that's not really his most natural role, but he's bought in way more than I expected, and he looks pretty comfortable right now. Uh, yeah, it's a, Tobias, my issues with him are on defense yeah. right now. and. Agreed. Agreed. Um, but that's look the, the the offense was probably my bigger concern coming into the year. So ho- hopefully he figures it out on the uh, defensive end. I I agree. He's uh he's bought into his role. Joel, great great passing night. That said, okay. after the game, when I hear him talking about we got to play fast, we got to move it side to side, we got to get everyone involved, and that is what my goal is. I think he's talking about the whole team. I think he's talking in general. I'm sorry. It's impossible not to think there's not a little bit of a nudge to the guy who dribbles the ball all the time. Um, it's it's hard. Look, I'm. he did not mention Harden. He did not make a funny face when he said this. He just was talking about the entire team. That said, it's hard not to think of him wondering a little bit about Harden, which, yeah, it is what it is. 
This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shea Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f-ing best. Each week, Shea Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture themed trophies for six basketball related activities. Trophies like the Dom- Dominic Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina Wine Mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. And then he came out and he, he implored them to shoot more threes. And he mentioned a lot of people specifically by name on that one, um, from, you know, Tobias to Maxi to PJ. Uh, I think those were the only three he brought up by name, but he mentioned everyone. He's like, look, if I'm going to get doubled the way I am, if James is going to be able to create open looks the way that he does, we need to let those fly. But by the same token, like some of that's going to come down to the way you're passing the ball too. Um, and the way that you are approaching the game, if you approach a game like you did against the Celtics, I'm not sure they're going to get 10 threes a game. So I think he had a great approach there against the Pacers. It's a little easier to have that great approach when it's someone like the Pacers and you know that you were going to get doubled because they have nobody who can match up with you. But loved what I saw. Uh, would love to see that against the Celtics as well um, and, and, and tougher opponents. Yep. And right, you know, as I'm kind of, turning into conspiracy bill thinking about uh you know how much does he actually care about uh you know Harden's dribbling you're right we we criticized him those first couple games about how much he was dribbling and you know how poorly he was seeing the court so you know and I, I think that's a big factor in why he played that way last night he saw okay this is a team we can move the ball and get great shots against like let's start forming some decent habits on that yeah. end of the floor and that's going to be uh a little bit of a uh push and pull with this yep. team this year. Agreed. But look, I ultimately am not worried about that offense. If if he's like on the way to getting better and, you know, 
playing longer shifts and all that stuff, which, by the way, last two nights, encouraging in that regard. Feeling okay about that. Let me let me ask you about Harden a little bit, though, because excellent start to the year for him individually. Do you think he needs to play a little bit differently to, you know, kind of get everyone else involved a little bit more? Yeah, I mean, I think the big question here is Tyrese. Um, that's the that's one where the, the, the combo just doesn't seem like they are playing off of each other. Well, which is amazing. Cause last year at the start, it just, it seemed like it clicked very quickly. I think he's generally creating pretty good looks for Tobias. Who's embracing that catch and shoot role. I think he, you know, you're not worried about whether James Harden's play style is taking shots away from PJ Tucker. So you don't really have to worry about that there. <laughs> nope. And I thought he and Embiid ran some decent pick and rolls to start the season. Even if Embiid didn't necessarily do a lot with them. To me, it's really about Tyrese and how do you get Tyrese going while James is on the court? Because right now it feels like his usage rate when the two share the court is comically small. I don't actually have that number in front of me, but it feels like it is very, very small to the point where Maxi doesn't look nearly as comfortable as he did at any point last year or at any point in the preseason. But by the same token, I mean, when Harden's playing the way that he is, I think you are going to have to change your offense a little bit. I would like to see more quite frankly um i don't not more from harden but just see how this plays out a little more before i react too much to what's going on it's hard for me to really criticize him right now i mean what's he averaging 27 and like nine with like two tur- turnovers per and shooting 47 percent from the field three unbelievable games one one's below one, average game yep, but that's yep look that th- three unbelievable games so so yeah, I, I, I'd like to see more. I'd like to see what, when when Tyrese is maybe being a little bit more assertive and see whether they can regain what they had last year. Because that, that was the one thing where like we had some concerns coming in. They were incredible as a pairing right from the jump. And now it's sort of looking like, I think, how I expected it to look last year. So we'll see. Yeah, it's it's similar to the athleticism part, right? It's You're just wondering, like, wait, why is this worse than last year yeah. at least to start yeah. at least for the first four games like it just you didn't have any practice time last year when you were playing against minnesota and all those teams and tyrese maxey was shot out of a cannon he was playing great to uh to start that partnership and that extended into the playoffs you know yep. we didn't get to see it really against miami because joel wasn't there but certainly on the list of concerns the james harden and tyrese maxey partnership and how much maxey would be involved was very very low down the uh, down the list there. Yeah, I, I do think Harden... There could be some times where I want, would want him to get off the ball a, a little bit quicker. Um, and, and to me, I think that the one time that's going to happen, it's, it's a very specific thing. And I think we're going to see more and more teams do this because he's certainly not an unwilling passer. He's just a very idiosyncratic passer yeah. where he likes to take his time and scan the defense. I think teams are going to switch that pick and roll more and more, even if the guy has no prayer of guarding Harden or Embiid, just because he takes a little bit longer to survey, you know? Yeah. And that's not to say he's unwilling, but if you play traditional, he's just going to drop that pocket pass to Joel. He's going to find the guy in the corner, whatever. He takes a little bit and sees like, you know, and I thought he did a good job of this against uh, Indiana, so I don't want to kill him too much. You know, how much is the the player on the wing shading over at the nail? Can I slip that ball to Niang or, or Tobias for a quick three, you know, those type of things. And sometimes it takes a little bit longer. And, you know, I think, uh, look, it's it's a weird thing where Harden has been terrific to start the year, but 
In terms of like how he fits within a, a cohesive offense, probably some work to be done there. I am ultimately not that worried about that. I think uh, I think you you will take how well he has looked at or how good he has looked as a scorer, um, and just figure it out from there. Yeah, I agree. I agree. What do you and think he, about this bench? Well, they had thirty six points against Pacers, so they're great. <laughs> I mean, look, when you can score three games worth of points in one game, clearly you are. are great. Uh, look, I, I think Melton's going to be one player who probably encourages you and frustrates you at various points throughout the year. Yeah. Um, you know, his he's certainly gotten blown by way more than I expect, expected coming in. He has started to make, I think, a little a few more plays on the perimeter with, you know, just forcing turnovers, getting his hands on balls. So that's at least coming through. House had maybe his first decent showing, contributed for the first time uh, of this of the season against the Pacers. Niang, I'm not don't want to kill him because he 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 was on fire from the perimeter. Uh, I think they're playing him a little bit too much without Joel, and I don't like really any matchup or any lineup he's in without Joel there to anchor that defense. I think Trez is going to annoy us a lot just because of what you and I value at as a backup center. I think the one that might be a swing on how we feel on the bench might be house. Uh, I think I expected more. Maybe I expected a little bit too much. Uh, but if he is not contributing, then you have to start asking some tougher questions of, do you try playing shake? Do you try playing Matisse and his one way ball? Um, I think this is a bench that is deep in terms of players who could theoretically be thrown into the right matchup. Yep. But short on players who are definitely contributors night in night out. And I think that will sometimes look good. I think that will sometimes look bad. I think a lot of it will be matchup dependent. Uh, and I think we'll probably be frustrated more than we expected with the bench. But I do still think they have a number of players who can contribute. It's just, it's got to be the right matchup, got to be the right lineups, got to be the right need for your team. And they've been disappointing for three games, for sure. For sure, with one good good game against the Pacers. Yeah, and, and those three games outweigh the one like it's been and it's not just like people focus on a scoring and i get it because the number was incredible 11. it was outrageous yeah. <laughs> but their defense was awful too and for some of those players house and melton specifically like you weren't bringing them in here to score a lot of points like you're bringing them in there because you knew you're gonna have two of harden maxi and beaten harris on the floor at all times you needed them to be fourth or fifth options on offense and to defend their asses off and they just weren't all that effective defensively either on top of the fact that they couldn't make a perimeter shot and were making mistakes off the dribble. Um, they were bad on both sides of the floor. Uh, and for players who were brought in to be two way supplementary pieces being bad on, you know, legitimate negatives on both ends of the floor. It was, uh, it was very discouraging. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, I thought house in particular, man, that San Antonio game, he was completely lost. Like he just, could not chase Dougie McBuckets around the screen. It was a disaster. And you're, you're right. The scoring, yes, they could not make a shot to start the first three games. But Doc was correct in saying, like, well, they're not getting the ball enough. And that was why Embiid went about playing the uh, the style he did in last night's game. Um, yeah, you just – but they need to do the little things correctly. They need to yeah. – get steals they need to make the right rotations it's it's one of those things too where you know if you have like niang and you know i'd be very interested that the matisse question is an interesting one look we we've 
clear-eyed about Matisse, the two of us are, and and what he does to your offense and all those things. That guy, if you just tell him to get back on defense, I think he's pretty good at that. Yeah. You know, I think he's I agree. more than capable of that. And frankly, I also think he he has the instincts as a steel guy to make the other team think twice about throwing the ball like 50 feet uh, across court because if he's back, he's probably going to steal that thing. Um, you know, so I, I definitely think like, look, if, if this continues to be this bad, he is certainly an option. Shake is as well. I, I, I still would urge patience with those guys. It was a, a positive step. I thought, uh, I thought Melton had a really nice play in the Indiana game where Harden, you know, a guy shaded over at the nail and Melton like attacking a closeout. He has the ability to do that. Like he has yeah. the ability to take one hard dribble to his right, go through his legs and get all the way to the rim with his left hand and finish like through contact against okay defenses too. If Harden does give him that initial lane, they got to find ways to get him the ball though. That's, that's the thing with him. He's, he's better. He's not exactly a shooter, but he's a better athlete and better playmaker than a lot of the guys that they've had. Um, so he might have the ability for one or two dribbles and to take it up in traffic, but not against Giannis. The attempt against Giannis had no shot, a little too overconfident. I give you credit for believing in yourself, but a little unrealistic on that one. House had a pretty wild uh, dunk attempt in the Indiana game yeah. as well, although that was against a smaller player. It might have been Duarte. It was, But in in person, I was like, man, that was... That was ambitious. It, yeah. uh, he got he got fouled though, so it was all right. It wasn't so uh, much who he was trying to dunk over; it was like from where he took off from. It was pretty far back, and he pulled it back, and yeah, it was a good attempt. And like you said, I you know, I I would be playing Paul Reed because I value what he does more. I value defense more. He has not been particularly good, but Trez is is really rough right now. Like it's just he's not he's not finishing layups or you know bullying smaller players. There was a play in the Indiana game that I, I literally I couldn't believe it, where it was a three man action between Harden, Tucker, and Trez. So okay, it's like three old Houston guys, you know, playing. Although I'm not sure how long Trez was there with uh, with Tucker, but you know they, they they flowed into a pick and roll, they flowed into split action, and it was awesome. They ran like three pick and rolls, and this was not Harden holding the ball. This was him continuing to to move. He finds Trez on a pocket pass after the third action. Trez has Terry Taylor on his hip and he gets blocked. Yeah. Like it's like, all right, if you if you are not finishing that when you have a guy on your hip and Harden is putting it right in your breadbasket by the rim, you should not be playing because you're not as good at defense as Paul Reed is. Um well, like that, he he's only gotten five shots in like thirty five minutes of play. If you're gonna be used that infrequently, then you're not on the court enough to use your skill. Uh, to be effective, well, then your weaknesses are all that's really being shown. So what what are we doing here? Like what 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 are we doing here? Agreed. What one other straight thought I had? Now, part of the reason he only has five shots is because I think he has three offensive fouls, so that's on him too. But anyway, one other straight thought when I was talking about Harden, I love Kate Scott, and I understand that the uh, announcer's job is to be a homer. Who won the trade? It's like, ah, they're one and three and barely beating the Pacers. Yeah. Like, I, I get well, it. I mean, they're not even playing each other, so, you know. I, I get it. Ben Simmons is not playing well, and we'll see what happens to him. But, like, let's relax here for a minute. Like, they're J- James Harden is not leading a parade down Broad Street right now, exactly. Like, they're they're barely beating a terrible team to improve to one and three on the year. Just, I don't know. Just, let's, let's, let's ease up a little bit there. 
Um, one other thing, because I, I guess we didn't really talk about this because we were watching the Phillies game afterwards. Doc, after the San Antonio game, when he said, what, what did he say? He said, we're not ready to win right now. Yeah. Yeah. I think what he actually said in terms of we're not ready to win, I don't think many people would really argue with that. But I think the, the response that everybody had was, well, isn't that on you? And he never seems to take that next step of, and I've got to do a better job to get them to this point. I've got to do this and this and this so that we are ready to win. It sort of almost is like just Doc's sort of like canned default response to we're not playing good enough basketball. And I think it just pisses a lot of people off because they should be ready to play basketball. Like this is a team that is bringing back four out of five starters. The one guy who wasn't a here last year is sort of like a plug and play add to contender now type of player and has been for the last few years. Same thing. And yeah, the bench is largely new, but like, okay, that happens a lot. Benches don't tend to be static in the NBA. Like you, you shuffle those a lot. They should be better than they are. And it's frustrating that they're not ready. It's, it's, I I get, I get if you're really frustrated. I get it. I get it. Yeah. And I I think he, Deserve some ownership in all this too. I mean, we're we're spending a lot of time killing the players, and I think they deserve like look. I think they deserve more of it just because that's what we value in the NBA. Yeah. We don't think the coach matters quite as much. And when we write the tweet, and the format is Doc Rivers colon quote after a game that ends like that, there is absolutely nothing he can say that will have this fan base on his side. He is more unpopular than the end of Brett Brown's reign, which yeah. is saying something. Yeah. So when he says, we're not ready to win right now, part of me thinks to myself, one, you're, you're kind of right, and that's okay. That's not all that offensive as far as what he says goes, right? Like, considering a big part of the reason that some people aren't fans of him is because of his press conferences, I actually think that's a pretty good answer. Like, it's yeah. rather inoffensive for the most part. But obviously, it's not good enough. The Spurs aren't ready to win right now. Come on, man. Right. <laughs> what is no. going on? I think what he said, and I, I, I pulled the quote up. We're not ready yet, honestly. Uh, we're just not We're not ready to win yet. You can feel that. We got a lot of work to do. I think if some other coach at some other stage of his tenure in Philadelphia said that, people probably don't care. But because Doc has had so many instances uh, where he has acted like he is beyond reproach, I think a lot of people have just no longer given him the benefit of the doubt in that regard. I thought the most questionable thing he said was after that when he said it was almost like we played these first two games hard, competed, and then felt like okay, now we can win some games. Yeah, the first played two games, those you, first two games hard. What games the, were you watching? The first game especially. You yeah, did not play hard. They did not game. play that game hard. That's the one that I like when I'm I'm listening live. I'm going, whoa, what? Worried that he's going to see me make a face uh, because that was definitely not true. Yeah, I I don't know what to say. Everyone has an opinion on Doc. Uh, I do think it's that that quote specifically was he's lost benefit of the doubt. Fans are frustrated and he's now going to feel that. Yeah. And, and look, he is. Um, I think he's under pressure. We're not going to predict, you know, what it would take for him to get fired. But like if they get off to a poor start, like I think those are going to be reasonable conversations that uh, that they're having. So I they, mean, I they, think you know, the people People, not people at the Sixers, but people around the league. Uh, I think Zach Lowe mentioned it on his podcast today that speculation is happening. And that whenever you have a contender who starts off slow, those speculations will almost always happen, especially when the coach is not in his first or second year. 
especially when that coach may have lost a series to the Atlanta Hawks a couple years ago that they had no business losing. If this continues, there will be lots of speculation for sure. That is not breaking any news. I definitely got the email a couple days ago that he is the favorite for the coach to be fired. I get those betting emails a lot. Wasn't even close. It was like three to two or something like that too. Yeah. Yep. And uh, and this one actually pertained to the uh, the team I covered. So you know we'll see. I mean they they have a this Toronto stretch is going to be tough for them. Like they they need to. God, they just need to feel better about themselves and play better. But part of the way they feel better about themselves is like play harder, play a little yeah. smarter, yep. play a little defense. You know. Yep. Why don't you why don't you care a little bit on uh on that end of the court? And that's uh that's generally where I uh I find myself. I one more thing that I uh, uh just a ridiculous point you uh that I have to make based off something you said. I do miss the masks because I could react any way I wanted <laughs> yeah. and people wouldn't see it. And usually it's not at Doc like when he asks a, no. it's yeah. it's usually at a a question yes. that I think is yeah. ridiculous. But man, I make some goofy faces when uh the worst when is when you, you lock or, eyes with somebody and you're both on the same page in that press conference. Ooh, yeah. Uh, no, I feel and, like, and I, you know, the one thing I liked about the mask, I hated the mask for a million different reasons. I understand why we had to wear them all this stuff, so don't turn this into a political thing. Though but they were uncomfortable. The one thing I liked about it though is I could hide what I was thinking, basically. Yeah. I could hide yeah. what I was thinking and I didn't have to shave. Nobody cared. Not that yes. anybody cares now, but even more so. Uh, and I think that's a good way to end this uh, this podcast about a uh, not very inspiring team right now. No, no, they are not. But there is an inspiring team in Philadelphia. Go watch their game starting on Friday. Go read Matt Gelb in The Athletic. Uh, and go Phillies. Go Phillies. High hopes. Go Phillies. See you, man. When you are down, lift your head off the ground. There's a lot to be learned, so look around. Once there was a silly old ant. Thought he'd move a rubber tree plant. Anyone knows an ant can't move a rubber tree plant. But he had high hopes. He had high hopes. He had High apple pie in the sky. Hope so when you start to feel it low, instead of letting go, just remember that and Whoop, there goes another rubber tree. Up there goes another rubber tree. Whoop, there goes another rubber tree plant. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.